Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to this week's episode of Lost Without Japan, a podcast based on Japan and your Lost Without moments. This is your director of travel for TKIC Studio Productions coming to you with positive thoughts and excitement for your next journey to Japan and his own return this summer. I'd like to thank you again for giving me a bit of your time today, and I truly hope this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at the moment. My belief is that we can all use a beacon like this one in our lives to help guide us during these times, and my hope is that Japan, along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a returning Lost Without listener, thank you again for your time and for returning once more. With all the challenges and changes that can come with traveling to Japan, I really thought about with a variety of things that I've come across recently and experiences that I had, that the show really needed an FAQ for travel to and within Japan and just some possible information that could help avoid some struggles that I've experienced in the past. We're going to consolidate some of the things we've shared in the past and also add some new ones and suggestions in today's episode. And if we end up needing another, we'll look to add a part two later on. We will also talk about the changes in COVID restrictions, and one important part to this that I've not heard discussed elsewhere, along with the price increase that's happening in October for the JR Pass. And ask that question now of, is it really that auto-include that it would have been previously? And also give some suggestions for those of you traveling in October, November, and December of possibly still being able to take the JR Pass at that discounted pass and not having the huge add-on in price impact you quite yet. Timestamps for each portion of our talk today will be found in the show's notes, so you can hop to where you'd like to and listen in any order that you want. For those of you that are used to day trip episodes after an interview for today's show, we're going to take a pause and resume back to that in a month's time. Remember, you can always reach out to the show at lostwithoutjapan at gmail.com or lostwithoutjapan on Instagram. And if I can answer any questions while you're traveling with us, or even when you're out on your own, don't hesitate to reach out. I truly feel lucky that we have each other on this journey and can't wait to get into our FAQ on Japan together. To kick today's episode off, we're going to get right into some of the bigger Japan travel-related topics and discussions. And we're going to start with the ease of COVID restrictions and then follow it with the increase in price to the JR Travel Pass. First thing we're going to discuss is the ease of COVID restrictions. As of April 29, 2023, all travelers to Japan are no longer required to submit proof of a negative COVID-19 test that was taken prior to 72 hours before your departure or a valid COVID-19 vaccination certificate or card that shows that you have the required three doses or the equivalent. Now, for any of you, like fellow listener Brianna, who reached out for assistance in getting that COVID information uploaded to their app before the trip for the government of Japan, and even for myself, this is huge news. 
Now you can just have your passport, and if your country requires it, a visa, and you're pretty much good to go now. That being said, I'd still bring a picture of your card on the trip. Chances are you're going to be fine, but you know, why take a chance? And that kind of ties me into the fact that I don't notice a lot of people talking about something that could happen when you do come to Japan. Yes, they have eased the COVID restrictions, but if you look at that second part of the announcement, and this may catch someone off guard, and I don't want it to catch you, that my listeners, you know, in that way and be like, Mike, why didn't you tell me? It is good to know that there are current random sampling tests for COVID that could happen on your trip. And that could be when you're arriving in the country, and it could happen if you're exhibiting symptoms upon your arrival to Japan, regardless of what country you are coming from. If you do have that card and everything that is there showing your vaccinations, I'd go ahead and bring it with my passport and just have a picture on my phone just in case something happens. Because in the past, if you did show some sort of positive, you have to quarantine. And depending on if you had the vaccinations or not was kind of how long you'd have to quarantine. So on the horrible occurrence that something happens on your flight, that you come down with something and you test positive, I would personally want to have my COVID card with, and that way I could show it to them. And if that means that I'm able to get out of quarantine that much sooner, or, you know, at a hotel, whatever it is that they end up deciding uh, for that time, I'm going to take it because I want to make the most of my trip and my time that's there. Next up is the news in regards to a substantial price hike for the JR Pass. First off, how much is your JR Pass increasing in price? Well, the regular seven-day pass is currently 29,650 yen and is going to go up to 50,000 yen. The regular 14-day pass is 47,250 yen and is going up to 80,000 yen and so on. The green 7-day pass has an increase of 39,600 yen to 70,000 yen. Again, that's just for 7 days. The 14-day pass is going from 64,120 yen and going all the way to 111,000 yen. If you just take these straight, I know our you know conversion rates and things are, are way better than this, but... I remove two zeros and go with it, not trying to do the math in my head. And you're looking at something that is around $1,100. I can tell you right now that I'm super happy that I went with the $640, which was under $600 equivalent for my trip, because I'm not sure that I'll be doing the green pass again anytime soon. And we'll talk a little more about that as it goes on. The base price of this pass is going up on average of around 69%. And it's compared to pricing that you would have seen for some years in the past now. Let me tell you how truly thankful I am to my buddy Josh, who's coming with my son and I on our trip and pushed for us to go to the green car. It's like I said, for future trips, I may just end up looking at regional passes or just doing like a seven day pass or actually just breaking it down even further. One thing to note is that this price of the pass has really only gone up very minimally for quite a number of years. So this price increase makes sense. With the price of everything, even compared to my 2017 trip, to have now all gone up a bit, I had a flight booked for us 
and it was around $900, like $870 round trip to 2017. And right now I was at 1900 for a discount and it's over 2000 now. So it makes sense. One thing that is currently unaccessible if you bought a pass today is the Mizuho and Nozumi Shinkansen that goes between Osaka and Kagoshima and Tokyo and Hakata. These will become rideable with a small fee for use for the future train pass, which is one reason there is an increase in pass. And these trains operate much faster than others and currently can only be accessed by purchasing a separate ticket and do not work with the JR Pass. Apparently, they'll be offering other discounts as well for tourist attractions throughout the country, which could be nice for a first-time visitor and even those of us returning once again. But we really need to see what those are. So when does this increase come into effect? The update comes into effect in October of 2023. And saying like, Mike, great, my flight and everything's set up for October. Does that mean I'm out of luck or even November or December? No, you, my friends, can still extend this a bit, at least for the rest of 2023. And if you go through an official distributor such as Japan Rail Pass Now, JTB USA, and others where you can purchase your pass up to three months prior to activating it and using it for your trip, you can actually pay for it ahead of time and then have it be redeemed at the still discounted price without having to pay that increase. If you take advantage of this by purchasing before October, this means you'll still get your voucher and be able to just enjoy that time without that increase for a little bit more. Look online, see what it can do, but don't let the opportunity pass you by. And don't, you know, look to get this in October and have that, you know, more than doubling of the price. With current pricing, it's really hard not to justify the current cost of a seven-day pass. It's around 30,000 yen. You know, just from Tokyo to Kyoto alone is 28,000 yen. And that's if you go just one way, no return trip. And if you went to and from, you've already basically doubled the value of that. And that's with you going nowhere else. So now, however, you're really going to have to think about what you're going to be doing. Because if you're flying into the country and going from Tokyo out to Kyoto and then back and that's your trip, you know, that's you're getting to a point now where it's like, I, I may not be worth it. Just look at the regional, look at the passes here. And if you need some help figuring that out, again, just reach out. Let's go ahead now and transition over to our Japan FAQ that covers a wide range of suggestions for those of you traveling within Japan. Before we move on to the show's suggestions for helping you get to Japan, my first suggestion I recommend for you is to just look to book as far out in advance as you can. I do love booking through Airbnb, especially when traveling with groups of people. It's become evident though, unlike when I was visiting in 2017, the prices for hotels are way more reasonable than I was able to find in the past. And I've been recently finding myself kind of doing a balance of both for my upcoming trip. And even as I'm looking toward summer 2024, that being said, no matter what option you choose, if you are booking out in advance, please, please, please make sure that you can cancel your reservation and get your money back prior to the trip. And if there are certain dates that that needs to happen by, really take that into account. Even after 
I am booked. And just for example, with my Airbnb that we had done some months ago now, I made sure that I was able to cancel that trip because when I was over at my buddy Josh's place recently with my son, we, we end up hopping back on again and seeing if anything better has popped up. Before, when we had booked, the closest we could get to downtown Osaka was about 25 minutes by train to get to Dontonbury. And we all kind of wanted our space. We wanted our own bed. And to fall within the budget I was looking for, that's really as close as we could get. But now, as we looked, we're actually going to be in Dontonbury. We're going to be in the area, everything that is going out for it. And we're not going to have to worry about traveling to, you know, that location in the morning or traveling away from it at night. And that's huge. I went ahead and canceled it. Airbnb said that it would take seven to 10 days, but I can let you know, at least in my occurrence, it was my credit that I had and everything was back uh, that I had done from like a gift card previously that I had saved for Airbnb was back immediately the following day. And the rest of it ended up popping up on my credit card within that seven to 10 days time. So I was able to use that to help pay off my booking. What I did was it allowed for me to pay half in advance and half later. So I did the upfront and then just use my credits and things like that to pay off the rest uh, when they ended up appearing there. And another reason that you may end up thinking about changing your date isn't just because of a better location, you may end up finding about festivals, concerts, or you might just research something prior to your trip and decide to make some changes to your itinerary. And it's really best to just leave yourself as much flexibility as possible. It is very obvious that tourism is picking up though, and I'm seeing lodging filling up further on in advance or being sold in blocks with lodging opening up as it gets closer to a date, you know, reality, I don't know why they're doing this block method or if it's just people that are canceling and now it's becoming available, but it's just something to take into account. If you have your heart set on a location and it's open and you can afford to go ahead and book it. With the increase in tourism, there are a lot more people in areas where people in Japan call home. Please be aware of your surroundings and just try not to block you know, sidewalks or entryways. And if you can, as I've said in previous episodes, leave your big backpacks and bags in your lodging or coin lockers before you begin to explore a place or you begin to go to eat because those big bags could take the space of a paying customer and just add to some frustration or being turned away and not knowing what's going on. In that vein, I do see so many places that are online in Japan looking to hire both full-time and part-time work. My suggestion with this is to just go into each experience as you're traveling Japan with patience, especially during this upcoming summer when I feel that tourism is going to keep on increasing with the number of visitors going to Japan. But for those of us that have been there before, not seeing anywhere near the same amount of people available for us to help. This may mean looking at open tables, but not being seated. It may end up waiting longer to have staff come up to ask for our order. It could just say that, you know, you're, you're turned away or having hours that are different. You know, you might be in the past expect that when a place opened at lunch, that it was open at lunch through dinner and when it closed. 
And now I'm seeing more and more places that after lunch, they close for a little bit and then they open again for dinner or they're only open, you know, four days, three days, whatever it was, as opposed to all six or seven in the past, because they don't have the staff to fill everything that's there. So just, you know, like I say, put on a smile, go in with patience and understanding, and just know that you're, you know, representing everyone that comes after you. So just try to be as understanding as possible and know that what we've been used to in the past for those of us that have traveled probably is not the same. My suggestion is, is that you, if you have your heart set on visiting a place, I would go ahead and see if they accept reservations online or by phone. And if they do, go ahead and make them. Just make certain you cancel them as far out as possible if you find yourself being unable to go. You know that they will hold that spot for you, and again, they can miss out on money, or they may decide not to hold reservations for others. So just, you know, go ahead and cancel if you can, and book as far out as in advance for those places you don't want to miss. One plus for you for listening to the show right now is the Google resource doc that you can access from each show's notes or on my Instagram account. In the doc are numerous Google map locations for cities in Japan. They are a great resource to use on their own or to even use as a stepping stone to make your own. Adding your lodging and other key areas for your trip in addition to possible places you want to eat at on your visit in advance is huge. Does this mean you can't be spontaneous or just walk in and find something brand new for you? Of course not. You know, that's one of my favorite things, just walking around and seeing what I find. What I do, though, want for you to take is just take a moment and start creating your own Google Maps list of locations, of things that you might want to hit. Does it mean you have to hit everything on that stop? No. But what I find is that when I return back to a location again, I kind of scan through it and I'm like, oh, yeah, I wanted to go there. And I try to make that a priority on my next time. Now we're going to move on to a topic that I realized needed to be revisited after my Radwimps concert is that many people may be struggling to make it to Japan for their first time and could really be looking for that route to help get them there. And that's something that I have addressed, but I've got to say it was done a few years ago now as our show is coming up on two years pretty soon. So with that in mind, I want to discuss one of my favorite pastimes, procrastinating versus taking that first step and creating a plan that I feel will end up resulting in getting you to Japan, plus some suggestions to help you not make some mistakes that I've made previously. Yes, I do feel like you can get to Japan even if you feel that it is impossible at the moment. Step number one, my friends, is opening a second account at a credit union or a bank that you don't currently bank at. Here's the reason. Actually saving toward your first purchase is going to be the big bulk of what you're going to be doing, and that's your airfare. So if you can find a credit union that's separate from your main bank account, this is such a huge thing. Because when you're putting your ATM to take out cash or you're looking to pay for a bill or something that's occurred, what do you look at? I look at my main account and see what I have left in there to pay what I need to. What I don't do, however, is look at the second account I have. I end up forgetting about it. 
I take the ATM card for my credit union out. It is in my passport. I don't look at it. So here's the deal. If you can do automatic deposit and you're doing that already, awesome. Most places that you work at will let you add a second account into what you're doing. And if it's $10, if it's $20, if it's $50, whatever you can afford to be without, go ahead and take that. And I know you could say, Mike, you know, $10, is that really going to add up? Well, let me just give some math for you and we'll talk about all of these together. But it will, my friends. Even if it takes you a while to get there, isn't it better to make it there, even if it takes a long time, than finding yourself quite some time later not having made any progress and being kind of like where you're at now. Think about all those small purchases that you make. Like if you're like myself, you know, instead of grabbing fast food, I've, you know, made sure that I pack more than I don't. And there are times when I'm out with friends and we're going to go grab something to eat. Maybe I avoid, you know, a drink and just add water. I mean, there's a couple different things that you can do. Does it mean that you can't get the, the, the drink or add on different items? Of course not. But if you're being aware of what you're doing for purchasing, you'll find that it really does begin to add up. And for me, it was one of those things that I saw was once I had my flight finally booked, that's when I really kicked it into high gear. And as my timing is coming closer to my son and I's trip, it's one of those things that, you know, even him and I are having a conversation on a regular basis. Like, I know I'm trying not to spend any money, but, you know, or I didn't get this right now. I'll look to get it after the trip because, you know, all of those things that are there. So just for example, if you're able to do $50 a paycheck, you could end up having around $1,200, no, really more than that, but $1,200 in a year, and then $2,400 in two. Again, just $50 a pay on a bi-weekly schedule could have you purchasing your plane ticket for Japan in two years and going out as far out and as advanced as possible if it's nine months, 10 months, whatever it is, giving yourself another year of time then to afford your you know, lodging and other things that's here, or more likely, okay, I have the money for my airfare. In another two years, I now have the money to, you know, get some discounted booking. And I can really start saying like in a five-year total of time of having money set aside, having money for airfare, money for my lodging and for food and finding yourself be there. So paying for your ticket, like I said, will really kick everything into full gear. And you're going to say, but Mike, I've heard that Japan is expensive. And let me tell you, Japan can be expensive. It's as expensive as you want to make it. But here's how I ended up laying out my first trip back when I returned by myself after doing Fulbright. And I did it for a two-week time. Now, can you do it for less? 100%. Can you go for a little over a week? That's probably about where I would cap it. Of uh, You know, not doing anything less because you do lose a day when you fly there. And you need to take into account that you're, you know, going to have a day that's going to be going to the airport to get ready to go. But I tell people, does that mean 
you know, not going or if it's going to be harder for you to get out for that long length of time. Not at all. Because let me tell you, if you go to Japan for a week or a little over, I'm going to tell you that you're going to find yourself saying, hey, I've already saved once. I've had a fabulous time. Now I want to go back <laughs> and having it be that much easier to make that trip a reality the second time, third time. And if it's not Japan, this can be used for anywhere that you want to go. Now, depending on your location that you choose to stay, and this is one of the things that can benefit of a return trip to Japan, is getting yourself out of major cities where you could find two weeks worth of lodging for around $600 through Airbnb. And really even cheaper than that for hostels. There's some locations in Tokyo that were literally $15 a day. Can you spend more and go for luxury? Of course. You know, but I got to say, when I went back on my own and it was my first trip back to do so, it was truly no thrills. And no joke, I reached my arms out while laying on my futon and could touch both walls. You know, we're in there. It was small. Let me tell you, it was really small. But does it matter in the end if you've made it? And what it really is lodging for? Store some things, get something to sleep, place to take a shower. And in the end, that's good enough. That being said, I'm not against the splurge, though. And I'm planning to finally stay at the Tokyo Park Hyatt and not just settle for a drink at the New York bar before heading out. And I'm going to look to do that in summer 2024. The last topic I wanted to discuss on today's show are some suggestions to help you not make the mistakes that myself or others that I know have made in the past and help make sure that that trip is going to be as enjoyable as possible. When traveling to Fukuoka by plane, it's important to know that if your flight runs behind and arrives after 10 p.m., that you will not be able to land due to a restriction blocking flights entering and leaving after 10 p.m. So if it's possible, you want to avoid booking flights that land after 9 p.m. Because, you know, in the end, something can happen. There can be a delay. And I don't want the stress of that ruining parts of my vacation or having me spend the night elsewhere and then coming back again the following day. The next comes from a friend of the show, Nikki. The meaning behind the fact of if you're in Kyoto and you receive tea after you've received your meal or your other drinks, and it's not something that you ordered. This is the establishment's way of telling you that you have overstayed your welcome and it is time to leave. Don't drink the tea, my friend. It's time to just pay and go. One more for Kyoto that I've not seen mentioned before is that when you're in the geisha district of Kyoto, you may be turned away and this may happen quite a bit and it could be for bars or other places and you may say, Mike, of course, because I'm a foreigner, right? Not exactly. There are many establishments that are in, especially the Geisha district, that turn away even Japanese people as well. What's happening is that some establishments require an introduction to be made by someone who is already allowed to visit that location. A lot of these establishments may also have Mako or Geisha and are places that won't give you a bill that night and will instead do so later. What the goal is, is just you're focusing on enjoying your night, and that is it. So why the introduction is so important is the fact that if you happen to not pay your bill, the person that introduced you to that location would be required then to cover it for you. 
So is this something tourists are going to have to worry about? Most likely not. But I just wanted to give you a heads up that if you're turned away and you're in Kyoto, this could be the reason why. My first suggestion after all of that is to get a Suka or a Pasmo card when you arrive in Japan and load it up with what you feel comfortable putting on it. You can put up to 20,000 yen or around $200. Not only can this card help you make your way through subways like a pro scanning it and not having to wait in that JR line to try to figure out what pass or ticket or things that I need to buy. No, my friends, just scan and go. What it can also do, though, is something that's even cooler than that is be used at convenience stores, some restaurants, and even at vending machines. No more having to worry about carrying around a ton of loose coins. And let me tell you, it adds up quickly. And this may seem you know, rather old of me to say, but grab a coin purse, grab one of those things that you have to help carry the things in. You're like, Mike, I don't need to worry about change where I'm at. What are you talking about? It adds up quick, my friends. When you have a coin that's $5 or you have coins that are less than that, you get them in change and you'll thank me later. For those looking to make a daily budget for the trip, I'll go ahead and share what is I usually do for mine, but know you can easily go for less than what I'm saying or, of course, increase it. I budget myself $100 a day for food and expenses and usually have a collection of money that is left over toward the end of my trip that I can spend on other things. One of the most important things for you not to do when visiting Japan is to not go with a regular suitcase or even one that has rollers. Now you can ignore me on this if finances don't allow, but Japan is, as I said it before, even earlier in the show, limited on space. And at times this is really accentuated and it's one of the reasons that I can only do Tokyo for a shorter burst of time before needing to go out for a day or two. And trying to carry this luggage that you bring with you up narrow staircases or multiple floors you may find may not have an elevator is anything but fun. Also, hopping in and out of subways and trains can be overwhelming on its own. And during busier times, you truly don't want to be the foreigner with luggage that is taking up more space than you should, or worse, bumping into others. What I recommend is using a travel backpack that allows you to take up less space, save some frustration, and keep your hands free for navigating, but also allow you to flip it to your front if you're on a train so you're taking up as little space as possible. And that is a you know, word to the wise. If you hop on, just take the backpack off, even if it's not a travel one, put it in front of you, and it's just, you'll see other people doing it as well. It's one of those things that I wish I saw in practice, uh, you know, when I'm traveling about in Chicago. If you happen to have an REI or a camping store near you, please take the time to actually go there and be fitted if you're buying a travel backpack and see what it's like. The one that I went to, they, they were able to load it up for me so I could feel like what it felt like with weight. I could see what straps are. I could see how it felt and really find one that would work for me. And it really did help narrow down my purchases that I, when I was looking to buy one quite a bit. And it was cool just to see just how much actually fits in those. It's way more than you think. Remember, one important thing is that if you visit a store and you are helped by someone, you aren't required to buy it right then and there. You can even be up front and just say, hey, 
listen, this is something I want to buy, but I know that I'm going to need to set some money aside for it. Could you please help me narrow down the one that I'm going to get for my trip so I can start setting aside money for it? And I'm going to tell you, with as friendly and helpful as they are, you're going to want to go back and go through them if you can, and they'll remember you. It'll be great. Now, for those of you that are like, Mike, I need to save everything that I can for my trip. And, you know, the $50 I could save by not purchasing it in store once I know what I want. And I could end up buying it online, you know, through another company. Go ahead and take advantage of that. If it's Amazon or otherwise, I'm not going to fault you with that. But one thing, um, Osprey, which is the brand that I bought, they have an amazing warranty. And there are many places that can help you all around the world if something happens to the bag, even in Japan. But it's just something you need to take into account is that depending on where you buy it, if I bought it, you know, through REI or buy it through other places, they'll still honor that warranty. But some places do not honor it if you buy it through like eBay or you buy it through um, Amazon. So something to look at ahead of time before you make that big purchase. If you're looking to travel more than once and you're looking to hit other countries or just you're like, I already know I'm going to want to come back to Japan again and again. I really can't you know, tell you enough. Go ahead and buy the travel backpack. It's now something I would not travel without. Next, it may seem silly, but start thinking about clothes. And this includes your socks and undergarment. If you're going during the summer, I can't recommend enough bamboo fiber clothes, especially for undergarments. I love them so much, I now wear them all year long, even in winter. I go so far to buy new socks and things just for my trip and then don't use them anymore. I keep them in a little drawer at my house, and I know that when I go back to Japan, they're already there for me. And it's really important when you're in Japan, you don't have holes in your socks. You don't want to be embarrassed by this. After I return from a trip, I always kind of look at everything again. And if it isn't up to what I would like it to be, it kind of just gets put into my normal rotation for everyday wear around school and something you can take into account then. And then I just know before I travel again, I need to replace them. Another great purchase comes from visiting a running store. Now I don't run at all, and that's including if I'm chased. That being said, you'll do a large amount of walking in Japan. Truly a large amount. I cannot stress it enough especially if you're in Tokyo. Getting light, comfortable shoes that support your feet, as well as inserts if you need them, will make it such a more enjoyable trip. You'll have far less pain, and it will let you not feel so drained after your constant you know, wear and tear and just walking around, and energy that you're going to exert, having fun. And I don't know about you, but when I'm really enjoying myself, it's easy to lose track of time. Uh, you know, how much distance I have, and you can really find yourself wiped out at the end of the day. Again, all of this can be pricey, but guess what? The shoes and inserts that I have all go back into my closet at the end of the trip. And again, following summer, when I go back to Japan, they're already there for me. So just think about what you have as kind of an investment upon yourself. And once you've made that purchase, it's going to be something that you won't have to keep on rebuying on every time that you go. Now again, all of this is subjective to you being in Japan for more than just a weekend. 
It's subjected to what your budget is and just how much you want to travel in general. But I'm telling you, waiting a bit longer to go and being able to appreciate your trip to the fullest, especially if it's that once-in-a-lifetime trip for you, you're really going to appreciate it that much more. One other item I don't travel without is a cell phone battery and power bank, uh, which I ended up using, which is a PowerJuice Pro, like 10,000 mAh or larger. Huge addition, especially for Japan. When I'm out and about and I'm using Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever it is to find trains, find my way, taking pictures, using the translation app to figure out what I'm eating, and so on, having a charging bank for your phone is a must-have. I once came close to having no phone and no navigation while I was staying outside of Narita, and I just, you know, kicked myself for leaving it behind. When I was going out to the mall that was in Narita to just walk around, didn't think I was going to need it, left it, and then I couldn't get a cab back because apparently they ended service, and the people that I was trying to talk to thought I was pointing to them in a location of, you know, nothing. Uh, they're like, you know, nothing's there. I don't know how to communicate to them that nothing's there. And they didn't know that the place I was staying at was currently being refurbished and had been a place for lodging in the past. Another add-on are quick-dry travel towels. During summer or just on long walks, they're a lifesaver. Outside of travel and insurance, I would also recommend getting a travel first aid kit and keeping it in your backpack. Having to not search for what you may need can be the difference between still enjoying your day or wasting hours searching for what you're looking for. As was the case for my friend Mike and our group when we went to Japan last and we needed to find some ibuprofen and Tylenol, which was next to impossible in Japan. And what we did find was not the same strength. We ended up going to I don't know how many pharmacies and places to find this. So if you're coming to Japan, bring your own ibuprofen, bring your own Tylenol. And that way, if you do by chance, like my friend Mike, who got sick on the trip, ended up getting into the hospital, you don't have to rely upon them uh, to, to give you something that's going to help ease uh, that pain with the Tylenol that's there. You can go back and forth between that and at least be a little more comfortable. With all of that, though, check out the show's recommended purchases also that are on Amazon and on the Google Show Doc and see what else I've left off so that you're not caught off guard with big expenses before you leave. I really recommend you just setting aside your own little, you know, if it's, it is Amazon, like a little wish list of things you want to get and buy them periodically as you go and just store them in your place. Thank you for all for joining me once again today. I look forward to enjoying our next interview in two weeks' time with a wonderful YouTuber based in Japan. And then we're going to be boarding the Shinkansen once again as we head out for our next day trip where we explore one of Japan's pottery towns that could be a fun addition to any trip to Japan. Please give a follow, a like, and a comment on your favorite streaming service. For updates on the show, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at LostWithoutJapan. If you've been enjoying our show to this point, please think about supporting our completely crowdfunded show. Link is in our show's notes. I would like to thank current Patreon members as they have allowed me to buy my first lavalier mic for the trip. 
I am truly looking forward to this summer and hope to put it towards additional interviews in Japan, as well as sharing the sounds of Japan with you as well. Can anyone say Japan ASMR? For our outro for today, we're going to go ahead and call it a day before we begin our next adventure and to continue our discussion on exploring Japan. On behalf of Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us on our talk today and look forward to seeing you on board again in two weeks' time for our next episode. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends. Shiranai sekai